So I invite you to stand with me now as we turn for one final time to Daniel chapter 12. We're going to conclude our, ser- our series here in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12. Uh, this is uh, a, short, a short chapter, and so I'm going to read the whole thing for us. This is the word of the Lord. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall uh, shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to... and. Sorry, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and, the, and one on, on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and a half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people come to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked, uh, the wicked sh- uh, shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335th day, but go your way to the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now for your help as we approach your word once again. We thank you, God, for it. We recognize that there are times that we come to texts that are clear and easy and there are times that we come to texts that require us to dig and we pray now God that you would help us to do just that to dig and discern what you have spoken through your prophet Daniel we also pray God for our our church plant in uh, Philadelphia for Mark and James as they continue to lead that church as people come to faith in Christ as that church in that place continues to be built up and God we pray for the unnamed church plants that we will never know that we support through our giving through the Annie Armstrong Easter offering we thank you God for the work that you're doing around our nation as new churches are planted in places that need to hear the gospel. Father, we pray for those who will go from our church this weekend to go and be with uh, our friends at Redemption Heights. God, would you uh, bless their time there? God, would you make it profitable, we pray, for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
grab me. I'm just not going to be able to do it. I would rather stand still than hold this thing. So if y'all would just bear with me in some patience for a minute. If this is your first time with us, we're normally a little more put together than this. It's okay, though. It's a sign of the end. Did you catch that ball game last night? Holy cow. See, Darren, I mentioned it. Not by name, though. It would, I just couldn't bring myself. I have too many UNC fans to give them the credit. I use my hands way too much for me to hold that thing. All right. So here we go. I'm going to just stand in one place. We're going to make this thing work. So this is our last sermon here in Daniel, 13 sermons in the book of Daniel. I hope this has been profitable for you. I hope it has been helpful for some of you. It in, a, in some ways scratches an itch. You've been after me. When are you going to preach some prophecy? Well, here we are. And, and we have walked through the first half of Daniel, which helped us see uh, from a narrative perspective, what it means to live in exile uh, as Daniel and his friends were removed at a young age from Israel into Babylonian captivity and just remained faithful. Uh, the story of Daniel for, for decades remained faithful, even under a, an empire change. Then as we got to the second half of Daniel, uh, we see these three different visions that Daniel receives concerning things that were to come. Some that would take place during Daniel's lifetime, others that would take place after Daniel, but before us, and still others that would take place after us that have yet to still happen here in our world. But the goal of every sermon in this book, I believe, has focused on what the purpose of the book is, and that is to show us how to live as exiles as God controls the nations, that we are never intended to be at home. This is not our home, that we are not citizens of this world and that we are exiles. And that Daniel serves as an example for us of how to live in exile and the prophecies of Daniel serve to give us encouragement in the dark days of exile. And Daniel 12 serves as both an end to the third and final vision of the book of, or the latter half of the book of Daniel, as well as an ending to the entire book itself. That this is a vision and a couple of questions and answers from the Lord that show us the end of the battle, that what is yet to come. And for this one purpose alone, to give us hope in exile. This is not intended for us to develop some type of detailed system with charts and graphs and dates attached to them. We're not supposed to discern and divide and, and write books and get people to understand that Jesus is going to come back on such and such a day and such and such a year. That, that is a fool's errand. The goal of this is to show us that God is in control and that we can have hope even in the darkest moments of exile. So let's look here at the end of the vision, really picking up where we left off last week. So last week in, in Daniel chapter 11, 
The longest vision of Daniel spills over into chapter 12. Uh, It told a grand story, a story of centuries, one in which it is unfolded for Daniel, the fall of the Persian Empire, the rise of Greece, and even some pieces of Rome mixed in there, a little horn Antiochus Epiphanes who would persecute God's people um, during the time of the intertestamental period and then moving into the final period where the last Antichrist will arise and persecute God's people and ultimately he will come to an end. And that's where we left it last week. We left it at the very end where all we're told is that this guy, this final little horn, this, this culmination of Antichrist throughout history will, will, have, will, will oversee a great persecution. And we kind of left that, as I ended last week, I said, I want this to, in the same way that Good Friday does, looking forward to Easter Sunday, I want this to sit heavy on us some this week. Because we need to feel the weight of what is really being said in the scripture that, that persecution is real and not only in a future tense real, but even in a present tense real as, as there are present tense Christians today who are undergoing great persecution at the hands of other little horns. Those who would seek to punish the church of God for following the way of Jesus. But now comes hope. Chapter 12 comes hope with this in mind, that the Lord will bring the end in his way. And he will bring the end in his way by doing a couple of things. The first is that he will destroy evil and rescue his people. Look back at the last verse of chapter 11 and the first verse of chapter 12. We're told this is writing of that final antichrist and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Now, if it just left off there, we, we, would, we would desire to know more. And so we go into chapter 12, same vision. And we're gonna get a little bit more detail here. Verse one of chapter 12, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people. Now, Michael was already introduced to us. He is an archangel. He is, he is the one in chapter 10 Uh, who came to Gabriel's aid. And there shall be a time of trouble, never such as seen, has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So here's what we see in this first verse of Daniel chapter 12, great hope that the Lord is going to bring about the end of the great time of trouble in his way. This is what we're told. We're told is kind of a repeat of chapter 11, uh, that, that a great time of trouble is coming. And we need to recognize that that great time of trouble is coming, that the people of God, uh, the, the Old Testament Israelites and the New Testament church have faced great persecution and will continue to face great persecution until Jesus comes. And one of those persecutions will be the final time of persecution, one that will be a global persecution of God's church. And yet God will intervene. God will ultimately destroy evil. His end shall come. Speaking of 
the Antichrist, the one leading this charge against the people of God. His end shall come and God will rescue his people. And while that time will be a, a, an incredibly difficult time of persecution, as the text says, no such time since there's ever been a nation until that time. No, no persecution will ever rival this final one. But your people shall be delivered. And look at who is delivered at the end of that verse. Everyone whose name shall be written in the book. Take great comfort in this. Some of you left last week, and my goal wasn't to change your mind. My goal was to present the text in the way that I understand it. But some of you left last week thinking, wow, what if we really are here during this tribulation period? Maybe you've been told that we weren't. And, and again, that's a fine position, but maybe that's dwelt on you this week because that's the position that I hold. We will be here during this time. The church of God will be here. This is who's being persecuted. Maybe that's set heavy on you this week. Well, take great hope. Who is it that shall be delivered? Everyone whose name shall be written in the book. Now, this is symbolic language, but put yourself in, in a way that you can imagine what's being symbolized here. What's being symbolized here is that God, in eternity past, has a record of those he will redeem for his glory. That, that there is a book. Now, whether there's a literal book in heaven, that's not the point. The point is that what, the image that we're given is that every person from creation to the return of Christ, who, who God plans to redeem for his glory as his people, that, that they are recorded in this book and every one of them shall be delivered whether they are alive or not. And we'll get into the, those who have already died here in the next text, but just, just let this permeate for a minute that, that there's not anyone who's going to be missed. As Jesus is talking about this same event in Matthew 24, he writes, immediately after the, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the signs of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in heaven with great, with power and, gr and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Hear what Jesus is saying. Th there will be no one missed that everyone's name who is written in the book of life will be rescued in that day. This is why he says they will gather the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. There's no place that a Christian's going to be on earth when Jesus returns that they're gonna miss out on this. What great hope this gives to those of us still living as faithful exiles that no matter how bad it gets, when Jesus comes, we won't miss it. When God comes to rescue his saints, we will be present and accounted for in that moment. No matter how dark the time seems, there is always hope because Jesus will come for us. And when he does, the Lord will resurrect and judge all mankind. Look at verses two through four. 
And many of those who slept in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. When the Lord returns, he will return to resurrect the dead and he will judge all of mankind. This here, these three verses are the most explicit description of the universal resurrection of individuals found in the entire Old Testament. It's not the only place in the Old Testament that talks about resurrection, but it is by far the most detailed. It is by far the most descriptive. Most of what we know about resurrection comes from the New Testament. But resurrection is not simply a New Testament idea. And Daniel chapter 12 proves this. Daniel is clearly speaking of a resurrection. And notice who it is that will be resurrected. Everyone will be resurrected. There will be some who are resurrected to eternal life and there will be some who are resurrected to everlasting contempt. Everyone, when Jesus returns, will, everyone who is dead will be resurrected. Now, depending on your understanding, I don't have time to go into this in great detail. Depending on your understanding of Revelation 20, and I'm not going to get into the details of Revelation 20 today, but I, I feel like I need to say this or I'm going to get some questions. So depending on your understanding of Revelation 20 and what is known as the millennial kingdom or the millennial reign of Christ, you may consider this, these verses another example of what we've seen in previous verses of, of what's known as telescoping. Remember where we're looking at two events and they seem to be side by side, uh, but when we actually get to them, they are far apart. Because if you view a literal millennial reign of Jesus being described in Revelation 20, then there are actually two resurrections from the dead. There's the resurrection of the righteous at the beginning and the resurrection of the unrighteous to judgment at the end. And so some people view there a, a span in between those where Jesus reigns on earth. Some people view that as symbolic. And so they see this resurrection as being, uh, these resurrections as being at the same time. He, here's what you need to understand. That's not today's sermon. Whether they are side-by-side -side resurrections or they are telescoped one and then another later, ultimately, and this is what Daniel is driving at, the the, the ultimate outcome is everyone will be resurrected. And then what will happen? Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Consider what is described in Revelation 20 for us. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and, bef and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Now, Daniel 20 describes this resurrection, describes the judgment that follows, whether you consider, again, these, these resurrections as being simultaneous or spaced apart. By the time we get to these verses in Revelation 20, death 
the sea, Hades, all of these, all of these images for burial places have given up their dead. And everyone goes to judgment. And, and really, there becomes two categories of people. There become those who are able to stand in, on the grace of Jesus, whose names were written in the book of life, who say, I'm not depending upon my own works. I'm looking towards the righteousness of Christ, and I profess that faith while I was alive. And there will be those whose names are not written in the book of life, who will stand according to their own works. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, I don't need Jesus. I'm a pretty good person. I'll take my chances, live life my way. And when this day comes, I'll be able to stand before God and say, I did more good than bad. And here's what God is going to say to you. God is going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. There is no hope in this day outside of Jesus. There is no hope for someone whose name is not written in the book of life. There is no hope for someone who will say, I will stand on my works and my works alone. That kind of pride gets you exactly the kind of judgment that is described here. The lake of fire. To be separated from God for all eternity. Paying the price for your sin. This is what is promised to those in both Daniel 12 and Revelation 20. But resurrection is promised. This week I preached on Thursday, actually in one day, I preached two funerals, two dear saints in our church who had walked with the Lord for a long time. Both ladies in their 80s went to be with the Lord in recent days and I was able to preach their funerals and in both funerals, one at the end of the funeral and one at the graveside, I was able to reflect on this hope with those gathered. Resurrection is assured. Resurrection is assured. So no matter how dark these days get, no matter the persecution that is to come, no matter the torment that may await God's people in the flesh, resurrection is assured. And those who are in Christ, those whose names have been written in the book of life, they shall be resurrected to everlasting life. But there is, again, great warning for those who are not, because their, resurre their resurrection shall be to everlasting contempt, he writes. So this is the hope of Daniel, of Daniel 12. All of this unfolding of history in Daniel 11 concludes with this. Jesus will return and at his return, the graves will give up all who have ever lived and they will stand before him in judgment, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting torment. And the vision ends and like we may have, remember this, this, the vision was all with Daniel 11 and 12. And I think this really is some questions about not only this vision, but the previous visions. There are two questions that gets asked, that are, that are asked. One by uh, an angel and one by Daniel. Because inevitably we read this and we should have questions. If you read this and think, oh, I got all this figured out you're claiming something that even the angels didn't know the answer to, okay? So there's some questions. 
And really what, what these questions help us to see and what the answers from the Lord, and it's Jesus who's going to answer, what these, questions, what these answers from the Lord give to us is encouragement as we live until the end. And that's what we're going to see here is that Daniel's going to be told, like, this isn't the end, Daniel. And there's some things that you need to do, some very practical things that you need to do and the generations following you need to do as we await this final moment. The first is this, trusting that the Lord's timing is perfect. As we await the end, we must await the end with trust that God's timing is perfect. I didn't say that we would understand it. I didn't even say at times that we would feel, at least within our flesh, that we agree with it. But we must have faith that it is perfect. Good verses five through seven. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen. So if you'll remember back to Daniel 10, at the beginning of this, like the prelude to this vision, Jesus appears, this man in linen appears over the river, right? And Daniel is, is awestruck, falls out as if he is dead. And we've not seen another reference to the man in linen as Gabriel, I believe Gabriel, reveals this vision to Daniel until we get now to this point where Daniel's like awestruck again because he's received this information. And so he looks again on the man in linen. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who is above the waters of the stream, how shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lived forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So the first question is actually asked by an angel. I think most commentators think likely Gabriel, that this is still Gabriel speaking on behalf of Daniel. So we see even, even a, a position of, of awe in the, in the revelation of the vision from an angel to the Lord. And the angel looks to the Lord, and whether he's asking this for his own information or he's asking this on behalf of Daniel, we, we get to receive the information. And what does he say? What, what does he ask? How long till, will it be till the end of these wonders? Now the question is, not how long until these things take place, not how long from the time of Daniel until the time in the future that this final little horn, the final Antichrist will arise and persecute God's people. That's not the question. The question is how long from his arising till this judgment, the return of Christ, this resurrection from the dead takes place. And Jesus, the, the man clothed in linen, that's Jesus, gives an end. You say, wait, some of you may not have been here for this, so let me just clarify with you. This is a, this is a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ, okay? Jesus' word made flesh comes a few hundred years later, but Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has eternally existed, okay, as part of the Godhead with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so while, no, this is not bodily Jesus that we see born of a virgin in, uh, in Bethlehem a few hundred years later, this is an image of an appearing of the, the second person of the Trinity, the son of God before Daniel. Okay. So that's why, why I'm saying it's Jesus. Cause well, that's who it is. Okay. 
And he says, so he's going he's gonna to answer him, right? He's like, how long are these things going to be? And so he raises his right hand and his left hand. So he's swearing, right? This is, this is a promise from Jesus that it's going to be a time, times, and a half a time. Now, we've seen this in Daniel before, and I didn't really clarify it then because I knew I was going to get to it here. So let's go back and look in Daniel chapter 7, as Daniel's having the first of these three visions in the second part of the book. It's the vision of the four beasts, and Gabriel's clarifying some things for Daniel here, and here's what he says, starting in verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High, talking about the Antichrist, the final little horn, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hands for a time, times, and a half a time. For the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So the same thing that Gabriel has, has explained to Daniel, now Jesus, the Lord, the man in linen, is explaining to Gabriel, connecting the visions, okay? Connecting the vision of chapter 7 to the vision of chapters 11 and 12 and saying these things will last. And the, the language he uses is symbolic language. It's obviously not direct. Nobody speaks like this. A time, times, and half a time. Now, probably the dominant view of what that means is somewhere in the neighborhood of three and a half years. That if we take a time to mean a year, then it's a time. Times would be two years, and a half a time would be half a year, so about three and a half years. I've warned you when we've come to numbers, and we're going to get to more numbers in this text, but I've warned you when we've come to numbers, when we see numbers uh, represented in symbolic text, and, and, and apocalyptic literature is highly symbolic, we need to be able to understand that the numbers have meanings, but then they're not intended to be literal meaning in, in that we shouldn't read this and think it's three and a half years to the date. Meaning from the date that this thing starts, we could count three and a half years into the future. And I'm going to show you why that becomes troublesome in, in the next few verses. But at this point, I just want to let it sit on us for a minute that I, I think the best description of what's, being, of what's being told to us here is, yes, that this is going to be a limited period of time, something like three and a half years, but it's not intended to be something that we set our calendars by. I think it's likely a rough estimate. By the way, it's also a rough estimate for how long Antiochus Epiphanes persecuted the people of God and stopped the worship uh, in the temple. That it wasn't exactly three and a half years, but it was kind of close to it. It was pretty close. It was like three years and two months, okay? And so the, the persecution of God's people by the final little horn is going to be something similar to that. Remember, Antiochus Epiphanes serves kind of as this forerunner um, where, where he doesn't do the exact same thing, but a lot of the things that happen are very similar for us, and we can learn from history by looking, we can learn about the future by looking at history. So somewhere in the neighborhood of three, three and a half years is how long this will last. And we see that in both chapter 7 and chapter 12. But know this, it will end. Both of these, both the, the, the description of the times in chapter 7 and the description of the times in chapter 12 have a definitive ending. So it does not, hear me clearly, 
It does not matter if this is three and a half years to the day. First off, it's symbolic language. Second off, what matters is that we have faith that God is in control. This is what we are being encouraged to. This is what the Lord is encouraging Daniel in. Just trust that God is in control, that his timing is perfect. Jesus in Matthew 24, which again is one of those passages that's looking towards this time, says in two different places, Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, which may be why Gabriel asked, nor the son, but the father only. And he says the son doesn't know. He was talking about the son in flesh during his earthly ministry. I firmly believe Jesus now knows. Verse 44, therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So twice in Matthew 24, Jesus warns his disciples about trying to establish some kind of specific timeline, that this is intended for us to be an encouragement, that when all seems lost and if darkness has won, God's timing is perfect and Jesus will triumph. The end will come in his timing. Number two, trusting the Lord's wisdom is perfect. So not only his timing is perfect, but his ways, his wisdom is perfect. Look at verses 8 through 10. I heard, but I did not understand. Truer words have never been spoken. I heard, but I did not understand. (laughs) Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. First, let me just quick about the first part of verse 8. If Daniel didn't understand it, that should say something about people that have very, very rigid, narrow um, interpretations of what's going on here. All right. I'm not saying don't develop an opinion. I'm not saying you even got to agree with me on every piece of the nuance here, but you really need to hold that in an open hand because Daniel didn't understand it. And he voices this to the Lord. I heard, but I didn't, right? I heard, but I didn't understand. So then he's going to ask another question. Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Like this is all Daniel can say, having received all of these visions and being able to see that, that, that God is in control, but yet great persecution is yet to come, all Daniel can say is, what, what is what's going on? What's going to be the outcome of these things? That's really what Daniel, what, what in the world? God, what are you doing? Is Daniel's question. And God tells him what in verse 9? Go your way. The advice the Lord gives to Daniel is this simple. Daniel. Just keep living your life, man. Daniel, just keep, keep going. You, you've, you've been in Babylon since you were a teenager. You're now in your 80s, maybe late 80s by this point. You've walked faithfully with the Lord for decades. Daniel, just keep doing what you've been doing. You see, we, we don't have to make this more complicated than it needs to be. Daniel has trusted in the wisdom of the Lord under Babylonian rule and Persian rule. In the lion's den, as his friends were thrown into the fiery furnace, as he's received visions from the Lord, Daniel's just trusted in the wisdom of the Lord. And that's what the Lord tells him to do. Daniel, just keep going your way. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Because verses 9 and 10 tell us life will go on. Some will be saved, right? Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. That's a picture of salvation. 
and some will not. The wicked shall act wickedly. That God throughout the generations is going to continue to redeem people to himself. Some will be saved and others will not. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. You say, wait, I want to be wise. I want to understand. The understanding is looking back, not necessarily looking forward. And so what Daniel is being told here is as these things, as God unfolds history in his wisdom, we'll be able to look back on this text and say, yep, that's exactly what God did. We did that last week in Daniel 11. That's exactly what God said would happen. And it happened. And those parts that are still yet in the future, we may not be able to peg them perfectly, but we get on the other side of them, we'll be able to say that's exactly what God did. But life's going to go on and you just keep going on with it. You say, is, life, is that really the way it's going to be? Yeah, think about what Revelation 9 tells us. In Revelation 9, God, during this time of tribulation, pouring out, right, his judgment upon the wicked, just judgment after judgment upon those who are following the Antichrist, after those who have made idols out of this world. But in John's vision, we read the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Even in the face of God's judgment, many will not turn from their sin. It has been that way from Daniel's day to our day and will continue to be that way until the time of the end. And what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to go on about our lives. Being those who try to draw people to salvation through the proclamation of the gospel, trusting that the Holy Spirit will do his work as he is the only one who can purify people and make them white and be refined. He is the only one that can accomplish that. We go on our way living for the Lord. As time passes and the Lord unfolds history, we understand better what the Lord is doing, but we will not understand fully until Jesus returns. Now, before we get to these final three verses, which has some difficulty in them, I want to make note that one commentator, and man, I, I got, he really stands alone, but I read him this week and I was like, wow, you almost have me convinced because it, it helps, I think. Um, he sees a mirroring of 11 and 12, where 11 starts with what is now history for us and goes to now what is future for us. And 12 starts with what is future for us and ends with what is history for us. So there is, there is some who would argue that the very end of Daniel 12 is actually starting to look back on Antiochus Epiphanes, which was still looking forward for Daniel. It, it's a good argument, but it's not one that fully convinced me, but it is one that I think makes the numbers work a little bit better than, than other, than other uh, arguments. But I, I'm still going to, to argue that all of, the, all of 12 is looking to the future. I think the context is a little better there. This is our last, the last thing we do as we live in exile is that we trust that the Lord's provision is perfect. Verses 11 through 13. And from that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th day. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of these days. Now, let's just start at the end, verse 13. But go your way until the end. That is, that is the imperative here, okay? The command is to keep doing what you're doing. That's the command of Daniel. That's the command of God's people today. 
just keep going on living as a faithful exile, right? But, but there's something, we got to say something about these two sets of numbers, 1,290 and 1,335. And what had already been mentioned in Daniel, the abomination that makes desolate. There have been, there had been, uh, following Daniel and before Jesus, there was an abomination that makes desolate. Following Jesus, there was an abomination that makes desolate. And these are looking forward to a final abomination that makes desolate. The statue of Zeus erected by Antiochus during that period of time was an abomination that makes desolate. The, the statue of Zeus, if you were here for that sermon, was erected in the temple. The Roman standard erected by Titus in AD 70 as he destroyed Jerusalem was an abomination that makes desolate. I think the best argument for the abomination that makes desolate mentioned here in Daniel chapter 12 is not looking at either one of those, but is looking at one yet to come. But the words of Jesus are helpful for us. In Mark 13, 14, which is not in your notes, Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation as a he. He refers to it as a person. I believe the final abomination that makes desolation is the Antichrist himself, the one who demands that the world worships him. It will not be a statue or a standard that is erected in a place. It will be a man that demands worldwide allegiance. Now to the two numbers, 1290 and 1335 and their relationship to one another. There are some that argue that 1290 is representing that time, times and half a time, three and a half years. It comes really close to doing so, but it ultimately fails no matter what math you use. There were several different calendars and ways of counting years in Daniel's day. The most common and the easiest was just to ascribe every month 30 days. Well, if we do that, this number falls 30 short. It falls a month short. And that still doesn't describe what, explain what to do with 1,335 because there's no direct correlation between calendar months and that amount of that three and a half year period and here. There are many who have tried to explain this in great detail. The most entertaining one that I read this week was someone was saying from day 1290 to day 1335, 45 days is how long it will take Jesus to set up the administrative system of the millennial kingdom. You really think it's going to take Jesus 45 days to set something up? I don't. Okay. <laughs> I think me either. I think Jesus can do it right away. All right. But that I saw, I saw, okay, we're getting way too, we're getting way too far afield here. What's the point of this? The point of this is to show that yes, this persecution will last this period of time. Again, well, I don't think it has to be exactly three and a half years. I think that 1290 and the time times and half a time are describing the same thing. It's this limited period of time where persecution will exist. But what does the text say? Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1335. Blessed is he who endures. Blessed is he who relies on the provision of God because God's provision, even in darkest times, is perfect. So what? Does my life reflect the reality of my faith that the Lord is bringing about the end according to his sovereign plan? The book of Daniel has been about being a faithful exile, living in a world that is not our home, 
encouraged by the fact that Jesus will one day bring all of this to an end at his return and that we will enjoy resurrection of life for those who are in him for all eternity. But today may not be that day. And tomorrow may be darker than today and next year may be darker than this year. And even if the Lord tarries decades and even centuries to come, may the church may experience vast and great persecution. And so there is a question for all of us. Does my life reflect the reality of what I'm called to in this text? Do I show faithfulness in exile? Do I show faithfulness in what I believe God has promised? Am I relying on him or am I in some way relying on myself or something else in this world? We can become so focused on the world and its cares and comforts that we end up demonstrating more faith in earthly systems than God's sovereign plan. And that's no more true than when the systems somewhat look Christian to us. I think this is more tempting for people in our culture or has been in previous generations of American history than in many other places around the world because our systems seem to embrace some parts of Christianity at least. And so we end up relying on the system instead of having faith in God as exiles. And heed the warning of Jesus in Luke 21. But watch yourself lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus says, Using language from Daniel, son of man, Jesus says, I'm coming back. And don't get so focused on the cares of this world and don't get so focused on the systems of this world and don't get so focused on the persecutions of this world that you're lulled to sleep. Stay awake. Church, this is the encouragement of the book of Daniel. Live as exiles. Wide awake going on our way, continuing to be faithful, trusting in the Lord to bring about the end according to his time, his perfect plan, and providing all provisions that we need in the meantime. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the help that you provide us when days seem dark. We thank you, God, for the hope that we find in scripture, that no matter what comes upon us today or tomorrow, Jesus will return for us. Let that be the encouragement we need to go on our way and to continue as faithful exiles. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.